You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. We got some big names for you here. The Hall of Famer, Dennis Eckersley. Matt Vaskersian, longtime A's fan, now a broadcaster for the Angels, also host for MLB Network. And the great Dallas Braden, uh, A's broadcaster, former player for the Oakland Athletics. But we'll start with one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Only guy with hundred, more than 100 wins and 300 saves. You know the numbers. You know all the awards. He's an A's Hall of Famer. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And he was very, very good friends with Ray Fossey. Eck wanted to stop by to remember his great friend. One of the greatest A's, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Here is Dennis Eckersley. Well, it's great to have him back here on A's Hass. He's a Baseball Hall of Famer. He's an A's Hall of Famer. He's an American League Cy Young Award winner. He's American League MVP. He's one of the great pitchers of all time. Dennis Eckersley is with us once again. Eck, how are you? Very good. Thanks, Chris. Well, one of the reasons that we brought you on is to talk about uh, your friend, your dear friend, Ray Fossey. I know you guys had a great relationship. I mean, we all loved Ray, what he meant to all of us in our lives. And us. The, the, the hear about the passing was very, very tough, and I know it was tough for you. Yeah, it was. I, you know, I know he left in August, but I didn't, it, you know, this happened so soon. I think it take, took everybody a little off guard. So, I don't know, it's just so fresh right now. I just, you know, have so much history with Ray, and I respected him so much, and he was a dear friend, so it's really sad. Yeah, and I think about your guys' time together, and I'll never forget being in Cleveland with the ball club, and they have that video that they run to get the fans all hyped up, and it's it's always (laughs) going to be that great, that that for some reason that person from the TV station came down when they heard you were throwing a no-hitter, and they're always going to show that video that's always going to link you to your no-hitter in Ray Fossey. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I'm so proud of that, you know, the fact that he was he caught that. I mean, uh, that was the start of everything for, you know, our relationship, really. And, uh, you know, 40 years later, here we are. Um, but I love the fact that we're always connected with that. And that, that really, that's, that's really how it went, you know. After he left there, he didn't, he uh, retired right after that. And I met up with him in Oakland right before we went on that run. So he was part of, such such a big big part of my life you know uh so many good fond memories especially you know a guy like him that was in the booth and he had such a great relationship with so many players you know he was almost like a coach that was uh doing the broadcast at least for me yeah and you think about everybody who came through oakland and then all the road trip he's got thousands of interviews with so many people, it was amazing. Like nobody interviewed more people than Ray Fossey. Well, the perfect guy for it, right? Midwest guy, as friendly as can be, could talk to absolutely anybody, and loved the game, and was you know he, he was part of everything. He was down on the field, 
both clubhouses. I mean, totally immersed in it. You know, and, and you know, I love the fact, the passion that he had was incredible. I mean, it really was for somebody to do that for so long. And like I said, all the all the interviews they do, how many people that you know he was uh, uh, that he knew, you know, in some way or another. Um, nobody like him. It's going. He's going to be missed. The Coliseum will never be the same. He was a fixture. Yeah, and I don't know how you replace a personality and a person like Ray Fossey. And I just got to think, I mean, you're a little bit younger than he was. What was it like when you came up and his kind of leadership and as a catcher guided you through? See, I didn't see him when he first broke in because he had some power, you know, and then he got the Pete Rose thing and he didn't have the same power, but he was always a great catcher, always a great catcher. And I had so much respect for him coming over from the A's, you know, all the guys that he caught there, Catfish, Raleigh, whatever, just a ton of guys. And um, um, then he came over there, and he, I tell you what, he took control more than anything else. I mean, he was, uh, uh, for me, was difficult because, you know, he put down a finger, and he would never change. You know, he wanted to do what he wanted to do, and it was like a battle <laughs> at the beginning. But uh, that, that's where I'll remember. And I'll remember, um, you know, he had his, his finger, his throwing hand was all mangled. If he ever shook his hand, his fingers are all crooked and uh, he tried to throw the ball back to you, you know, in between pitches, whatever. And he'd always flip it. You know, he'd, he'd flip it. Almost needed sunglasses to, to catch it on the mound, but he had that. And I'll never forget that, but he was just a great catcher, great throwing catcher, but really took control of the game. Um, I, I just have such great memories of him. Yeah. You think about, and you mentioned how hard he worked in both clubhouses and Ray just, year after year adapted to the players and he loved the game and he loved the players. As you said, he never big leagued anybody. He worked harder than anybody. And whether it was like your guys's group with Conseco, McGuire and Ricky and Stu, or even the players now of 2021, just talk about how he, how relatable he was to the guys that were actually on the field. That's a difficult thing to do nowadays. You know, there's a generational gap without a doubt. And for, you know, Ray was, you know, 70 years old. So you're talking about a couple of generations. And, and I know by doing the job now how difficult that is. And he just, he never skipped a beat. You know, I, I, he was just so um, um, approachable. I mean, and, and, you know, nowadays that's difficult with that gap, you know, in time. And, and the players are obviously different each and every generation. But, you know, for somebody to do it that long and to have relationships with, so many players and so many age groups. It says a lot about who he is. You know, you grew up here in the Bay Area, and you remember when the A's showed up to Oakland. And, and to me, you look at those teams that won three straight World Series, which was an amazing run. You know, I, to me, having Ray around for all these years, it was almost like Ray kept those teams alive. People still remembered those teams because Ray was in the booth every night with that World Series ring on that you never forgot the greatness. I mean, you were a teenager at the time, right? Well, that, I had just signed a pro contract because I graduated in 72, so that's right okay. there. And that's my sweet spot, 72, 3, and 4, and I broke into the big leagues in 75. So I saw all of that. And, you know, that's why it was sort of a little intimidating having Ray come around in 76 and 77. But, I, you know, he did carry that around, and that gets lost in all this. You know how it is. I mean, uh, there, there was a dynasty, really. Nothing, there was nothing like that back then. 
And, you know, they, they didn't I, – I, it's great that, that Ray could carry that around. He's proud of it, and he should have been. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And going to what you're doing right now, uh, I'm not sure what you're doing around the Boston Red Sox right now, but, wow, what an interesting series between the Red Sox and the Astros. It's taken four-plus hours every night, but it is a lot of great action. It is, it is. You know, whatever team gets hot, you know, you get hot. You you get in the playoffs, you get hot, anybody can win. The Red Sox are swinging the bat, not necessarily last night, but Houston can swing the bats too. That's going to be a good one. I mean, last night was so big for Houston to win that game. So anything can happen. We'll find out in a few hours. You know, if you're a wild card team and you are where you are at this point, are you playing with house money? I think so. I mean, you know, the Red Sox try to act like, you know, no one expected us to be there. Well, you know, they played so great for the first half of the season. You think about that lineup. They can hit. I mean, when you come from last place to where they did this year, I guess, you know, nobody picked them to win. But you watch them play. I mean, they're as good as anybody. They've got good enough pitching to, to get to where they are right now. So I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a surprise. Hey, I, you know, we just had your old manager on, Tony LaRussa, and the Hall of Famer. We know how important it is to have a great manager. But if you think of what the Red Sox were last year, and you bring Alex Cora back and hear that, like, what, what, what magic does this guy have? I mean, I'll tell you what. I mean, you know how the game is played now anyway. You have to mix and match. And they were mixing the match, and everybody's mixing the match, and from five innings on, right, all season long. And then, and then the playoffs, look at all the pitchers they've been using. So you need somebody that knows what he's doing. And, you know, the manager's only as good as how well the, the guys they, he brings in. And that's the magic, I think, for Cora. You know, how – and, you know, in the playoffs, you do it different anyway. You're going to, you know, use starting pitchers out of the bullpen, which he's done well back when they won it in 2018. So, once again – the right guy is managing that club. There's more, you know, you talk about being magic, but he knows what he's doing. The guy is really smart and the players play for him. That's, you know, that's half the battle. You know, I want you to put your starters hat on. Everybody, you know, everybody remembers you as a great reliever, but also you won over a hundred games in the big leagues as a starter. We haven't seen one Astro starter get through the third inning. It's like everybody used to talk about momentum is tomorrow's starting pitcher, but we don't even, I mean, the relievers are starting, uh, starters can't even get through four. What do you think about starting pitching now in modern day baseball in the postseason? Uh, well, you know, the postseason's different, I guess. Okay. But as far as the whole, you know, during the middle of the season, nobody's going to face that hitter the third time around. That's what it all comes down to. And you've got 14 men, you know, pitching staff, 14 guys. You got 10 guys, nine guys in the bullpen. So that's the way the game is gone, and and you've got to uh, you know figure it out that way. I mean, you, you could sit around and talk all you want about oh they don't complete any more games. Well, that's that's history, pal. <laughs> this is what's happening now, and you have to adjust to it. Let's end on this. We recently had Billy Bean on the program, and Billy was talking about he and Sandy Alderson used to run poles in the outfield without their shirts on, and we were laughing <laughs> about it. And then he said, hey, Eckersley, Eckersley used to be running down Hagenberger in shorts and no shirt. Can you confirm that? Did you used to do that? I don't know about the no shirt. <laughs> you know I mean, maybe briefly, right? But, oh, I, I mean, I used to be crazy runner. You know, it, it, I mean, um, it, it just helped my confidence. I didn't need to be a marathoner, but it sure did help my head, you know? Well, I'll tell you what, I wish I could have watched you play quarterback in high school. I bet you slimmed <laughs> it 
I bet you slinged it around back in the day. Well, they wouldn't let me sling it. They, they, everybody just ran the ball back in those days. You know, very conservative. And I never would have made it. I picked the right sport. That's all I know. No question. You're a Hall of Famer. You're also an A's Hall of Famer. And you know how much you mean to this fan base. Good luck the rest of the way with the Boston Red Sox. And let's talk in the offseason. Be well, be safe. And I know you got grandkids. Enjoy the family in the offseason. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. The great Dennis Eckersley. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, you think about some of these relationships and how long these guys have known each other. And uh, obviously for Eck, as you just heard there, very, very tough. Now, Matt Baskersian also wanted to talk about Ray Fossey, but we also did a little baseball with him. Here is Matty V. Hey, Matt, it's great to have you back on the program. How are you there in the Northeast? Uh, surviving, Chris. It's, uh, you know, fall has settled in here. We, we've had a very warm fall so far, but it definitely feels like fall now. And with, um, you know, these AL and NLCS uh, battles kind of in full swing, it, and, you know, you're watching games and it's late, unlike the experience you guys have in the West. We're watching games, and it's, you know, because postseason baseball is what it is. It's, you look up, it's 1140, and the game's in the bottom of the fifth. So that's, that's kind of where we're at, but it's good. You know, before we get into the baseball, um, you know, obviously tragic. Our man Ray Fossey passing away, and it was very, very emotional for all of us. We did a, uh, a farewell three-hour show to honor our very good friend because we loved him to death. And I thought we did him well on Friday. And we know it's very, very tough for his family. It's very, very tough for our family, the A's family. And as a guy that grew up watching him play, as a guy who grew up a lifelong fan, you watched him broadcast, you listened to him on the radio, you saw him on television. I know this wasn't easy for you either. No, and I think, um, you know, I'm not going to be able to add much that hasn't already been said because I know that you had a – cavalcade of guests and people that that have been close to Ray for a long time um you know I'll I'll kind of echo what Vince Catronio uh told me on the phone and I'm sure he shared it with you and and your listeners as well and that's that you know if anybody could have just relied on who he was because of his role in franchise history it would have been Ray he played on the great Finley's Heroes teams He was around to watch the Bash Brothers teams and Tony's great successes in the late 80s and early 90s. And he's been in the booth for everything since then. So, I mean, if anybody could have just relied on that alone and been fine broadcasting games, it would have been Ray. What made him different is that he loved it so much. He loved the game and the craft so much that he always worked. He he was always on the field. He always had stuff. It was never... When I played, oh, back in the day, oh, and he never put it into easy mode. And I think, you know, 
viewers, now that he's gone, uh, maybe it becomes a, more of a stark realization that he was just absolute gold that way. Um, and boy, it's a short list of guys that occupy that kind of role with their franchise, who, who went seamlessly from player with exalted you know, vintages of the team to broadcaster. Keith Hernandez with the Mets is in that category. There's, there's just a few of them, man. And, and we lost a good one. And um, I think everybody is uh, still in a little bit of a state of shock and saddened by it. And the fact that we're never going to see him again is, um, is awful. And um, I know he'll be remembered fondly forever. And uh, I'll miss the guy too. I still have texts and voicemails from him and uh, it's, um, it's, it stinks. It's really sad, but uh, we'll remember him for being a great guy and a, a, just a, a great part of the franchise history. Yeah, I dubbed him the face of the franchise, and he always laughed at it. But I said, Ray, you're the one guy that can take us from the 70s through the 80s through the 2000s to where we are today. You're like the one guy that brings all A's fans of all ages together and there's never going to be anybody like that. And I think it's one of the things that I'm very proud to work here, but I think you as a fan will understand this, that, you know, you got guys like Steve Vucinich who's just retiring after, what, 54 years. You got people that have been around here 40, 30, 20-something years, and you go to other sports organizations, I don't care, NFL, NBA, hockey, we're just different than everybody else. It is like a tight-knit family, and I think that's kind of what makes the Oakland A's who the Oakland A's are. And that's what you grew up loving as a kid. Yeah, man, it's true. Uh, Those guys, those characters that can um, spin the stories and confirm or deny things that we've heard and read about. I mean, I'll I'll give an example with Ray. And I think you and I had talked about this on one of your shows previously. The story uh, of the A's World Series celebration party in 73 when um, at my uncle's restaurant in Alameda, uh, the A's were together with their wives and um, Campy was a little pissed off that Reggie won series MVP honors <laughs> and they <laughs> everybody had some cocktails and Campy ended up grabbing a knife that was on the table and made a lunge at Reggie. I mean, Good Lord, like, this is the kind of story we need confirmation on. And Ray confirmed it for me. He was the guy you could go to. Hey, Ray, did this really happen? And he'd tell you. He didn't want it broadcast necessarily because he respected his teammates and didn't want stuff on the street. But he'd share things with you personally. And I asked him about that. He's like, yeah, it happened. I was like, oh, my God. Because I think think he and Joe Rudy were two of the guys that had to pull Campy off of Reggie. I don't think he was going to murder him with the knife, but he, you know, he made a move at him like, hey, I'll cut you like one of those. <laughs> I mean, that stuff's great. Those A's teams would have been the worst with Twitter. <laughs> Twitter would have ate them alive. Could you imagine? Oh, <laughs> everything would have been, all that stuff would have been shattered with Twitter the way it is now, by the way, too. The current, current uh, nomenclature does not escape the ravages of Twitter, but God, those teams would have been, you're right, destroyed. You know, you, you talk about being on the East Coast and these games. I mean, seriously, 
I mean, that one day where there's three games, I sat on my couch. I said, I'm going to watch all three of these because, of course, I got to talk about it. It was like over 12 hours of sitting on my couch. I mean, these games are anywhere from almost four hours to well over four hours. And with all these walk-offs, Matt, it's kind of like you can tell people, hey, just tune in for like the last 45 minutes, and that's all you need to know. Yeah, kind of like watching the NBA every night, right? Just watch the last five minutes of clock expire, and that's the, you're, you're good on the game. You know, the, the, the common uh, enemy, and it's wrong, I, I love shooting holes in this when I have uh, an opportunity to, as I do with you. A lot of people attribute the length of postseason games to the extra time on commercials. And true, we're talking about an additional 30 seconds. You go from just under two minutes of a commercial break to just over 2.30. So that does add up. But it's the way the game is played that adds to that length. The only series that's kind of moved along like normal baseball should is this Braves-Dodgers series. The Giants-Dodgers series, the Rays-Red Sox series, what's happening now with the Astros and Red Sox, I mean, you look up and it's full count city. Every plate appearance seems to go five plus pitches. You got guys stepping out. You got guys stepping off. Um, You know, the three batter minimum really has not expedited pace of play the way a lot of people, including myself, thought it would. So, yeah, it's the way the games are played. And you really can't complain about it the way you'd like to because everything's at stake here. This is the postseason. So. I'm not going to begrudge a guy working slowly on the mound in a game where everything is hanging in the balance. Now, if it's May 29th and it's a six-run game and he's doing that in the bottom of the eighth inning, now I have a problem with the guy. But in the postseason, everything's out there and the games just take a lot longer. Well, I'll tell you this, and I said this before this series because being here in the Bay Area, everybody was like, well, whoever wins between the Dodgers and the Giants – that now becomes the favorite. And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. There is a hot team coming into the postseason, and that's the Atlanta Braves. And we got two really good friends on that team who are longtime A's and both come on this program, whether it's my guy Ron Washington or who we just had last week. We had Walt Weiss on, who I know you're very fond of. We had Walter Weiss on right before the series. And both of them said, look out. This team has come together, and here you go. The Atlanta Braves are heading to L.A., up to zip. Yeah, man, they're a live dog right now. I was one that thought if they could steal game one, they had a puncher's chance. Uh, Not too many people gave him a chance to beat Scherzer yesterday, but man, he's worked a lot this postseason, and he didn't get through five. Um, It was a matter of one swing that expedited his day. Everybody thinks as soon as Julio Urias comes into the game, it's going to be game six of last year's World Series all over again, where he takes you the rest of the way and shuts out the opponent to win. That didn't happen. Uh, And then the matchup that ended the game, man, Eddie Rosario versus Kenley Jansen, that was not a good matchup for the Dodgers. As good as Kenley is, uh, Rosario's hot. He's hitting everything. He's kind of the Braves answer to Kike Hernandez, who's hitting everything right now. By the way, Kike Hernandez, I just read this today, he could go 0 for the rest of the series. 0 for tonight, rather, because tonight's the night. He could go 0 for tonight and still set a major league record for the most hits in six straight games in a postseason. He's just, he's a different guy right now. So, yeah, there's great performances happening. 
the Braves are live dogs, which I think everybody in the Bay Area is happy about because nobody in uh, in Northern California wants to see the Dodgers move any farther. It's been a lot of fun so far. No doubt. And then you just got two beasts in the Astros and the Red Sox heading back to Fenway Park, which, you know, Ray Fossey would say all the time, maybe the toughest 27 outs to get home team or road team playing at Fenway Park. Yeah, yeah. Tonight's going to be a huge swing game. Um, it's a weird one. Uh, E-Rod, Eduardo Rodriguez had a really – his last one was really good. His first postseason appearance this year was not. If you look at the uh, the Astros' numbers against him, there is some damage up and down. Uh, and I just – man, I don't – this is such a coin flip game. I have no idea how to handicap it. Uh, I got it right in front of me. Correa, 10 for 6. Altuve, 5 for 13. Bregman, 5 for 12 with two homers. They're, the big boys eat against him. Uh, on the other side, Jose Urquidy was supposed to go game four of the White Sox series until it got rained out, and then they went back to McCullers. So Urquidy hasn't even pitched in the postseason. Most people seem to think, Chris, this is going to be another high-scoring game, and I, I would probably agree, even though it's cold tonight in Boston, different circumstances. I don't see a, I don't see a low scoring close game. I think it's going to be high scoring tonight. That's why I love your guys' notes. So it marks the 24th time in 52 ALCSs that the game's been tied 2-2, and whoever wins game three has won 18 times, which is 78% of the time. I love the MLB notes. You guys come up, and it'll be networked with, with some of the, the greatest stuff. And, and I want to get in with this before we let you go and before we get into Sunday Night Baseball. When we were a kid, Everybody said there's no momentum in baseball because it's next day's starting pitcher is your momentum. I don't even know who's a starter anymore. I don't even know how this works. I mean, you got the greatest starters in the world. Guys who are going to the Hall of Fame, as you mentioned with Scherzer, can't even go five innings. I mean, the whole starting pitching thing, what does it mean anymore? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that old axiom used to apply when a team would get its, its brains beaten in, and the next day you come back with Catfish Hunter. Okay, so the momentum's dead, but now uh, it it does seem to carry over because a bad day for a pitching staff is going to affect the next day's pitching staff because you know the starter's not capable of going seven plus, so it's all hands on deck. And I, you know, I'm not the first or the last to say this, but the more the more moves that are made in a game, the more it favors an offensive outcome because if you think you're going to attack a playoff game and yeah, we're going to we're going to start with an opener, and then we're going to match up, and we're probably going to use six or seven guys. If you think all six or seven of those guys are going to be clean, then good luck because they're not. Somebody's going to pick up probably more than one just one guy, and then you get – and then it spirals out of control. So I think that it's going to be that kind of night tonight. Um, Rodriguez should go a little farther. I'm not sure how, how long or Keedy goes tonight for the Astros. And the next two nights are going to be the same story in this series. They're all going to be high-scoring games, I think. Well, let's end on this. I was sad to hear that you're going to be leaving Sunday Night Baseball, but then I realized, wait a minute, that means he's going to be doing more Angels baseball. That means we're going to get you in Oakland more now. So it's sad that you're leaving, but it's also our game. Uh, Well, that's nice of you to say. Um, Yeah, man, four years of doing that was great. I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, I love I love the craft of doing games. What I don't love is is being away from my family for thirty weekends in the summer and spring. And uh, it just 
it just wasn't something I could see continuing and and staying happy on a personal level. I like being home. And if the pandemic taught me anything, it's that I like being home. Uh, and those, th- those times are rare that you can spend quality moments with your family, not to sound too sappy and, 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 and anything like that, but it's, it's true. That's how I feel. And if I can still do games, which I can with the angels and, and to a lesser degree at MLB network, um, and not travel as much, then I'm all about it. And ESPN was, was good. And that franchise is solid and they'll be just fine moving forward. I know exactly how you feel. People ask me all the time, do I miss working for the Raiders and traveling with the Raiders? And even though that was only, you know, nine games, because we never went to the playoffs, but it was only nine games, eight regular season, one preseason. And I'm like, man, being gone every weekend throughout October and November and December and being away from my family and coming home late Sunday night in the middle of the night. It's like I, I it was great to experience the NFL for those years. But now it's like, man, I can play golf. I can be with my family. I took my kids yeah. to Top Golf yesterday. Uh, it's just that if there's something about the experience that's wonderful, but then there's the relief that you get once it's done. It's hard to explain. It's true. No, it's really, it's really, no, it's well put. And and you know, you feel like you've accomplished something. Did it? It's it. You know, next person can do it now, and I'll still be watching, of course. And and it's all good, man. And we can't wait to have you on the field at the Coliseum. It'll be great. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it, Chris. Well, hey, continued success, buddy. Uh, It's great to hear your voice and be well and be safe and let's talk soon. Chris, thanks, man. Always good visiting with you. Thanks, bud. One of the nicest guys in the business. He's good people. There's no question about it. And to talk a little more baseball and remember Ray Fossey, a guy that Ray really helped in the broadcast booth. And obviously Dallas knew Ray as a player as he traveled with him around the country. Here is the left-hander, the author of The Perfect Game, Dallas Braden. Dallas, what's up? It's Townsend. How we doing, buddy? Hey, we actually had starters uh, getting through the third inning today. Imagine that. Not bad. Not bad. I was actually thinking before this show saying, Dallas, you could make a comeback. We only need you to go two innings. Tony, even that would be tough, but I tell you, it, it brings it brings the field a heck of a lot closer to you when you start thinking, is that all that I would have to do is a few outs? Now, look, we understand these outs far more important than any other outs the starting pitcher is responsible for getting, especially right now. So the idea that you're getting any sort of length out of either one of your starters, especially if you're Houston or Boston, you're a big fan of that right now. Do you think it will revert back next year now that we'll have a full season, full off season, that because of what happened with COVID last year kind of threw everybody off, that next year we'll revert back and start trending up more with innings and starting pitchers? I think the game as a whole is uh, as cyclical as anything in our world is. And that means that eventually there will be a moment where we circle back to realizing, oh, that's right. Why are we entertaining the idea of the bullpen usage the way we are? It's because we do realize how valuable it is having guys that can give you that kind of length in a ball game. And so why don't we start trying to identify and build and cultivate those guys? And it's going to be like an aha moment. And the people who start to do it and think of 
putting emphasis on it are going to feel like they've reinvented the wheel. Like, not surprised nobody thought of this. Well, there's just been a cycle that has taken course here. And I don't want to say run its course because there's still ways to deploy your bullpen successfully and look for those matchups. But there's no mistaking and there's no arguing that if you have five gentlemen that you can run out there and get six plus innings out of every five days, you would really love to have that as opposed to having to figure out a way to cover 27 outs with 12 guys. Yeah, if you have that scenario, you're going to be winning your division and you're going to be in the postseason, no question. You know, if someone asked you, they said, you know, we track everything in baseball. Obviously, velocity is something we're constantly looking at. Let's say you're a pitcher that at one point was throwing 95 and now you're throwing 93. And someone might say, well, you know, I mean, still 93. You're just two miles off your your normal 95. But how big of a difference is just a little bit of a downtick and your velocity when you're trying to get the best hitters in the world out. Well, you're talking about margin for error, Tony, is what you're talking about. And the ability to miss fat, as we say, meaning the, the ability to throw the 95-mile-an-hour fastball, basically middle of the strike zone, middle height, just right there on a tee. That guy who throws, and we'll just say 95, He's got a little better chance of survival than a guy throwing 92, 93, throwing that same pitch in that same location with just two clicks less velocity on it. And something to think about, especially during the postseason, these these at-bats have a heightened sense of awareness surrounding them. And the the idea that you're okay with punching out today, that's not the same as it is in, in May. There's a day where you're okay with punching out a couple times as long as you get that A-plus swing off and run into one and you go one for four with three punch-outs and a homer and you're okay with that. Well, you might be okay with that too in the postseason if that homer gives your team the lead or wins the ball game. But if those three punch-outs in that one for four come in huge spots, well, that's going to leave a terrible taste in your mouth. You didn't create a productive out. You didn't. What I'm getting at here is there's a battle that is much more intense. And if you have a greater margin for error to miss, then you probably stand a better chance of survival if you're not emphasizing location. Well, you know what? That's exactly Steve Sparks, right? You know, the last time Houston came to town, Steve Sparks was on the program, and he said the reason why he likes postseason baseball so much is he says now guys are actually playing to win. He goes, during Uh the regular season, guys are playing for stats, guys are playing for contracts, but once you get into the postseason, your numbers don't matter, and now guys do the little things, like hit behind the runners, you do the little things to win baseball games, because it's not about the numbers anymore. I went, huh, and that's what you're talking about. It's it's like, it's it's a different, playoff baseball is different, because now it's all about winning and sacrificing for your team to get that win. You know why baseball gets such a wave of support in October is because of everything that you mentioned and everything that apparently myself and Steve Sparks have told you is there's a team element to the most individualized team sport going and April through September, you don't get that brand of baseball. You don't get that type of game. You get the type of game where players for better or worse are looking to supplement the back of their baseball card so that they can supplement their income. Everybody understands that. 
But when we get into October, the collective thought is you're getting a paycheck. I'm getting a paycheck. We all know we're getting a good paycheck here. We all know we drive nice cars. What we now need to do is win a ring, right? The money doesn't matter. The commas in the paycheck doesn't matter. Accolades don't matter. I need a ring. What gets me that? Uh, well, it's not the one for four approach in May that's okay with three punches. It is absolutely a one for two with maybe a couple walks and a sacrifice thrown in there. If that's what, I mean, whatever you've got to do by any means necessary. And those are two very different games. Those are two very different sports because in a lineup full of nine guys today, you probably have three or four that are not concerned with hitting behind a runner who are not concerned with just putting the ball in play and making something happen. They're looking to do damage with each and every swing that could shift in the postseason. Now, if you were preparing for a lineup like the Astros and you were told that they're hitting well over 300 and well over a thousand OPS with runners on and two outs, there's something about this team, two outs, they score a boatload of runs. How do you prepare for that as a pitcher? It's just making sure that you have an understanding of tendencies in those spots and you can't control necessarily defensive positioning. So you, you eliminate that. Like, uh, am I going to be able to get them to hit it to these guys? Blah, blah, blah. That's all about you focusing on your game plan. And part of your game plan, part of developing that game plan should be understanding which guys are aggressive when in those specific situations, game scenario, men on two outs, what are X, Y, and Z doing in the first two pitches? Are they aggressive? Are they not? Breaking balls. Are they aggressive on breaking balls? Are they not early in the count? What are they getting put away with late in the count with runners in scoring position? Are they getting locked up with fastballs in because they're hunting the soft stuff up and out over the plate? And if you're doing your homework, you might be able to find those answers, or you at least might be able to find some numbers that allow you to formulate a confident and convicted approach. That's what you're looking to do. So for me, just my game specifically, I can't afford to try to step on the gas pedal because my margin for error just isn't there. So I got to make sure that I'm executing my pitches in my location, in my count to my strength. So today, bullpen game for the Braves. Tomorrow, bullpen game for the Dodgers. When you hear bullpen game in the postseason, what do you think? Uh, it's, it's cringy, no doubt. It's cringy because that's a term that um, has gotten some negative connotation attached to it just because of, I think, the way the approach has felt like it's infiltrated the game of baseball bullpenning you're like oh you know what that means we're talking seven different pitchers today this game is easily going to be three and a half hours long because of the changes and like it, it's just there's no flow to it and that's not a super exciting product that's a really tough product to market which i think we're also understanding and in the postseason when you are presenting the game on its biggest stage and you're basically selling it, that 
becomes really, really tough. Like, just think about this, Townie. As we set today in this postseason, we've got roughly, I believe, on average, uh, the article said, five minutes, about four minutes, 50 seconds or so, in between balls in play. And that is a travesty. And that has to do with approach. That has to do with how good pitchers are. That has to do with how tough hitting is. But that also has to do with the amount of pitchers that we're running out there as a sport in these nine inning games and, and what it's doing to it. So it's, uh, it, it's not something that gets me super excited to hunker down in front of my TV when I hear today's a bullpen game. That's tough. Yeah, you know it's going to be four hours. And there's, you know, um, do you think these players feel it that they're playing four, four and a half hours? Because uh, I made the point that, you know, baseball players now get to the yard so early. Um, they want to have lunch. They're, they, they're used to sitting around all day. So for them, whether they're there three hours, three and a half, four. But do you think once you get to like four plus hours, the players are feeling it like, wow, this is a long game. Not at all. Not right now. No. I mean, uh, the, the conversation is, you know, hey, you can ice it in the offseason. You can sleep in the offseason. We're exactly where we want it to be right now. So the adrenaline of chasing the brass, right, chasing that ring, the, the adrenaline is going to take care of a lot during that four-hour window. And that's why it's really important to be recovering as best you can during the off time because you don't want to find yourself in a spot where you're running out of gas and that adrenaline isn't doing much for you. That's, that's tough. But right now, this is exactly where these guys want to be. This is what you train at five in the morning when nobody's looking for is so that you have this reserve to tap into. Well, obviously this devastating and shocking news of Ray Fossey passing away uh, really tore at all of our hearts because we all loved him and what he meant to us not only in our careers, but uh, as just a great friend. And you've known Ray ever since you were a player, obviously traveling the country with him. And he was so personable with all the players, got to know all the players. And then the special relationship you end up having with him as you joined the broadcast team and how he welcomed you in and took, took you under his wing. And I know what Ray means to you. And I know you want to talk about the passing of Ray Fossey and how much he will be missed. Yeah, Tony, that was, oh, man, that's, uh, that's tough. That is, that is tough. Um, and, and, and like you said, I mean, 14 years that Ray Fossey was in my life and a part of my life and in these last few years to such a greater extent than I ever thought one would ever be possible because you just don't, you don't ever picture yourself calling an icon, calling a, a hero a friend you know you don't picture yourself receiving phone calls from these individuals checking in on you and your family in the off season like you just don't that's not something you compute so when that becomes your reality like it did for me not only coming from the player side but now being welcomed in to his booth and to his world along with Glenn Kuyper um I I know what that meant to him and I always said you know one thing one thing he made abundantly clear was if if you're here to work then I'm here for you and that's 
all you had to show him was that you were about your business. And for me, I, I just, I, I'm thankful that I was given a, a decent work ethic and, and he saw that and that allowed me the opportunity to, you know, to what I, what I called have class with him, to have a, a, a master class each and every day I showed up to the ballpark and I'm not going to get that anymore. And, and that's tough, but I, I mean, I, I, I can't thank him enough for doing what he has done for the organization and for the game of baseball and, and for the craft of storytelling and, sharing insight from the game you love and the reason he was the best at it is because it wasn't fake it was absolutely the true blue passion he was feeling at that very moment in time and I think that's what allowed me just just that little bit of being able to share that with him is is our genuine love for the game and, and the fact that he opened up and uh, allowed me to be a part of that is something I will treasure forever. You know, I think people really need to understand that there are a lot of guys that had great careers that get into broadcasting, but they don't put in the work and they never leave the press box and they don't want to deal with the younger players and they don't want to deal with people like even like you, you can talk about when you're playing. Ray Fossey was in the clubhouse. He was in the clubhouse of the opposing team. He was always talking to people. He was always interviewing people. He never big leagued anybody. He was always there. He was always pumping guys up. He loved the A's more than anything else. All he wanted to, all he wanted to see was you guys be successful. Just talk about when you were a player, how Fossey was around and just always positive and always trying to do what was best for the ball club. Well, you know, I, I think uh, I think Joe B. Joe Blanton uh, said something that resonates with anybody who's putting who who has put the green and gold on, and you know you're going to get that big old bear paw extended your way, coming down out of the tunnel, and he's gonna he's gonna shake your hand, squeeze the hell out of you, put his hand his other big paw up around your shoulder, your neck, and he's gonna look right at you and tell you. You're good, man. You, you are good. <laughs> I tell you. And you want to know what? You're probably not good at that moment in time. You've probably been as bad as you could probably ever be. And he's telling you that because he doesn't care that you're that bad right now. Because he said that same thing to you after your fifth scoreless outing in a row. And he just wants to let you know. He knows how hard this game was. He remembers, and he's just here to let you know, hey, I got your back, man. And if there's nobody else today that's going to tell you that you're still really good at baseball, I will. Not that it means anything to you, but I will. And and being able to have that, I mean, and again, again, Tony, for me, I like it just because growing up in the Bay Area, like you know who this man is, you know what he's meant to the club, so. He, he's just, he's, he's a guy who's walking on clouds in my mind 
and, and to have him wanting to be a part of what you've got going on, caring about what your grandmother's up to. And, and, you know, like that's, that's just who he is. Yeah. It was never fake. I mean, you know, that was the thing when you got phone calls from him in the off season or he knew something was going on in your life. I, you know, Dennis Eckersley's coming up here at three thirty, and he talked about how, you know, Ray was the kind of guy raised in the Midwest and, and raised, you know, to, to, to believe in God and, and to be a good person and uh, to care about people and lift people up. Ray wasn't the type of person that put people down. Ray was the type of person that lifted people up. Well, that's that. And, and that is what you that's what you take away from being in his presence is. We're here and we are so fortunate to be doing what we're doing. You know, like I, like I, County, I, I would get to, I made sure that was one of the first things that, that I did was when I started working with, with Foss was take note of when he was getting to the ballpark, how early or how, how late and just taking note of his routine so that I knew where he was so that I could sort of force myself on him and, and corner him and, you know, we would find ourselves at times, you know, late for whatever it is he had to go do. He had to go do a radio spot. Maybe he's got to come, come talk to you down the hall. And, and him and I are talking about something that happened two weeks ago, or maybe something that had happened in 73. And I'm getting, I, I, I'm learning something about the game, about our organization that I would have never otherwise even known. And to your point, it's because he just had that time for you. If you love the game and he could see that you were genuine, he had that time for you. There's, there was never a thought for him to, to, to slow down and, and talk baseball with you. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I thought we did a really good tribute show for him on Friday. And I know the A's are going to do it right as we're going to honor him in 2022. Cause he's the, he's the one guy that bridged the gap from the seventies all the way to this year's team. And he was, uh, a wonderful person, and we're going to miss him. I loved him. I know you loved him. Everybody around him loved him, and it's uh, it's really sad. But um, he will always be one of the greatest A's of all time for his body of work. Hey, buddy, enjoy the playoffs, and let's talk soon. Yes, sir, Tony. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. The great Dallas Braden right here on A's Cast Live. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We would like to thank Dennis Eckersley, Matt Vaskersian, Dallas Braden for stopping by A's Cast Live. Now we take it back to A's Cast, which is powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.